A garrison is a safe place where an army gathers. In the same way, the Disability Garrison podcast is a place for the army of disability rights advocates to gather and discuss complex issues. We are unafraid to identify problems in our world and have difficult conversations about them. But we are not just here to complain. We spend our time brainstorming solutions with generals in the disability rights movement. Together, we take action to make positive change and lead the fight for justice and equality. My name is Hallie Carmichael. My name is Michael Murray. This is the Disability Garrison. Welcome, Disability Garrison listeners. Today, we are going to be discussing and talking about guardianship, but more specifically, alternatives to guardianship. Uh, First, we're going to listen in and hear from Ashley, an advocate from the state of Wisconsin. She's going to share about what her experience was under guardianship. So let's listen in. Hi, I'm Ashley Matthew. I'm 26, and I'm a self-advocate, and I live in Wisconsin. I've actually spoken around the state and I'm a professional public speaker. I've been speaking for about five years. I graduated from Partners in Policymaking in Wisconsin. And um, I think speaking is probably my favorite thing to do because, you know, get the energy in the crowd. And when you can totally tell when you use an enthusiastic voice and when someone talks monotone, everybody's ready to sleep. So it's like the whole crowd. It's so energizing. That's my favorite thing to do. But, um, you know, I had an opportunity a couple years ago, an agency that I was actually client and said, Ashley, you know, you'd be really good as a mentor. So then I started working for them. And now I'm a mentor for um, the Youth Voice Youth Choice Group. I was at an event where some boys were interested in me and someone came up to my mom and told them that I needed guardianship. So then, um, you know, they were very scared about that. So they ended up getting SSI and guardianship and I didn't know much about any of it. And I had just gotten my first job. So I kind of just went along with it. But I never knew the restrictions that guardianship would have given me because choice matters when you have a disability or you don't have a disability. Choice making is so important and you just need to be taught the right decision making skills. And then, you know, you can make choices on your own and then ask other people for help. It is so dehumanizing to be under guardianship. So I don't want anyone else to be under it. And I want to show people that, you know, they can do their own decisions by themselves and that I want to show them that, you know, I'm under guardianship, so don't get guardianship. So I guess that's me kind of living through them kind of thing and showing them before they go into something that's not good. I can't hunt because of, you know, like because of you can't have a firearm when you're when you're under guardianship and your parents have to decide if you get married or what kind of boyfriend you have kind of thing, because the court like says you're incompetent to make those decisions for yourself. I thought that it was just going to be like, oh, you know, that, you know, I would just be um, 
just like had a few things um, made for me and that it wouldn't be like all my life and stuff like that. It wasn't like a set in stone thing. But, you know, as soon as, you know, you are actually in it, you understand that it is more of a restrictive thing. You know what I mean? Like when you want to date someone, you have to go to your parents and say, can I date someone or can I marry someone? I mean, obviously, you know, some people want to ask their opinion about it. But when you're in guardianship, it's more of a restrictive measure than, a oh, I'm going to ask this person or ask this person or ask this person. I mean, I want to be able to, you know, do things like my family does and not like be restricted and stuff like that. I know I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but I mean, I mean, I don't know anybody who's not made mistakes. I guess neither one of us, me and my mom, both didn't know when we went into it that it was going to be so restrictive. And I mean, my mom's a great mom. She she's, you know, supportive. She comes, she drives me to speaking events. She's supportive and stuff like that. But I think that, think that we both didn't know what we were getting into because she kept reassuring me. She said, Ashley. You know, I have guardianship, but you know that, you know, we'll help you make your own decisions and stuff like that. But I don't think neither of us really knew what we were actually saying yes to. And now that I'm 26 and now it's a long process to turn this around now. But, you know, it's it's very people need to be very matter of fact on what they're getting into with guardianship. You know what I mean? Don't get it. It makes you feel like you're locked up in a box, that you're not going to get out of it for a long time. And that, you know, you you don't can can't make your own decisions and that you you feel so little of yourself like all the time. And you you don't want to, you know, be restricted. You know, you want your kid to live you know, uh, a full life. And, you know, she's probably or he's going to like live a life that they want to, but it's not going to keep them safe by being on guardianship. So just don't get guardianship. I think this is a critical and timely topic. I know for me, I'm working on some, some long-term planning in terms of, um, what happens for Maggie after, after I die? I know talking about, about death is somewhat morbid, but it's an important topic when we, when yes. we discuss, you know, in terms of people with disabilities and what, um, what that looks like for them. So our guest today, uh, Allison, will let her give a little introduction of herself. Um, but, but today's topic is, is alternatives to guardianship. So Allison, why don't you tell our, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and, 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 um, kind of how you, you came to be a guest on our podcast because of this topic. Sure. Um, my name is Allison Hall and I'm a researcher at the Institute for Community Inclusion at the University of Massachusetts, Boston. And I think the way that we all got connected was through one of our project officers who funds a particular project that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so it, the project is funded by the Administration on Community Living, and it, um, it really gives uh, us an opportunity to highlight the voice of youth, youth with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So a lot of my work has been around supporting youth and families uh, to identify alternatives to guardianship. 
And um, what I mean by that is really just decision-making, helping youth and adults uh, seek the supports they need to make decisions about their lives. Cause we all seek support. Um, yes. I'm not gonna buy a car by myself. I'm gonna ask right. a lot of people for their opinions. So we need to be thinking about people with disabilities as needing the same type of support or you know, sometimes more intensive, but um, it, it could look different, but that people with disabilities could just use the same kinds of supports that we all use. I love it. I love it. And, yeah. you know, as GT, uh, you know, we are always talking about your life, your choice. That is, uh, it's at the bottom of our logo and it is a firm belief that we have. So, you know, we just heard from Ashley who had such a powerful, powerful story to kick off this podcast, uh, truly impactful. I would love for you to just spend a minute and frame up the issue. Why are we talking about guardianship? So this is really a critical issue that I became acquainted with. I've been in the field about 22 years now, um, working around community inclusion and community integration for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I think that a lot of families think the idea of guardianship is just um, a natural progression of them mm -hmm. advocating for their children all throughout uh, their, you know, their lives and um, and in the education system. And then a lot of families believe um, when their youth is approaching age 18 that they need to um, think about the future. And of course they do, but often that can um, either result in, that can be from people telling them that, right. oh, you need to get guardianship for your youth or the parents talk to other parents. The parents might talk to their pediatrician who says you need to get guardianship in order to stay engaged with uh, medical decisions. They might talk to school personnel and they say you need to be involved. You need to be a guardian in order to make educational decisions or to stay engaged. But that's not true because there are a lot of other ways that family members can stay engaged and support their family members without resorting to guardianship, which yeah. families don't even realize sometimes how that can strip away an individual's rights and autonomy mm -hmm. and how yeah. hard it is to reverse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe talk about that a little bit for, for our listeners of like, what does guardianship mean? What does that entail? What, um, what does it strip away and, and how would you, if, if you wanted to reverse it, what does that process look like in terms of, um, of somebody reversing it? Well, as, as I said, guardianship has always been a way that family members can try to protect people with disabilities, um, but there are just so many rights that people lose when mm -hmm. they are under guardianship. In many states, they lose the right to vote. They can't decide who they live wow. with. They can't decide who to marry. They don't make decisions about their health care anymore. And it really compromises their self-determination. Yes. Um, in terms of trying to terminate a guardianship or um, to reverse a guardianship it is or, or restore someone's rights, it is a very, very challenging process. Um, there are uh, what's called PNAs, Protection and Advocacy Agencies in every state, also um, funded through the Administration on Community Living. And they, um, a lot of the work um, goes to them in some cases when somebody wants their guardianship reversed, but it is so complicated. We have stories 
on our partners' websites about how long it takes to reverse a guardianship, the paperwork, um, going to court. It is a very complicated process. And I think sometimes family members, and I know this from research that I've done um, with parents, sometimes family members who are so interested in community inclusion and future outcomes mm-hmm. and in right. employment in the community, they don't think guardianship impedes that. Right. And, and if you look at the research, it actually can. And I think parents also feel like, oh, my kid is turning 18. He needs a couple more years of decision-making experience under his belt before I, I let him loose in the world. But guardianships very often, I mean, very often they don't get reversed and they, they're permanent and they're, they're very hard to change. So I think parents might see them as, as more of a temporary option when really it can be much more long-term and have um, important long-term negative implications. And I think it's really important for all of the folks in the disability garrison to, to realize that uh, families are trying to make their best decisions uh, based off of the information that they had. Uh, and Allison, you really helped us also view this in this perspective of we're, we have no criticism for anybody um, uh, whether you're, you make a different decision or what decision you make, uh, as it relates to guardianship, but we firmly believe that everyone, everyone deserves the right to understand the decision that is being made. And that if there's one thing that we want to fight for right now is that all of you at the end of this podcast would understand the, the impact that this decision can have, and also that you have alternatives to that, to that decision. What are those alternatives and how can they have a positive impact? But I think before we get into that, I do think it's worth us just diving in a little bit because there are some stories of people who have had, um, uh, really negative experiences with, uh, you know, having a guardianship and, and how that impacted, like you said, their self-determination. I wonder if Allison, you can just talk about that a little bit. I would like to share one story about Jordan. Um, he's one of our youth ambassadors in, uh, for one of our projects, the uh, Civic Project Center on Youth Voice, Youth Choice. And he had never heard of alternatives to guardianship and his guardianship hearing was the next day. He was at a wow. self-determination conference and he learned about alternatives to guardianship. And he went home and spoke to his parents and he said, I don't think I need guardianship. And his parents that night became educated and thought, huh, look at all the Ooh, rights that will chills. be taken away yeah. if if you are if you lose, if if you're not your own guardian. Yeah. Um, so they went to the hearing the next day and they did not pursue guardianship. And now he's using supported decision-making, which I'll talk a little bit about. Um, And he is just, uh, I mean, he's working, he's just, he's he's so busy, he's doing so many things, but he really (laughs) took the time to learn about what's available for him. And so did his parents and his parents were open to it. Another situation, another um, colleague I have, she, had tried to talk to her mother about alternatives to guardianship, especially supported decision-making. And what's really interesting here is supported decision-making sometimes can, can involve a lot of different people because, you know, you ask different people for help on different, in different areas. So here's one young woman who wanted to pursue supported decision-making and her mother didn't really have her head around it yet. And her mother didn't 
really understand the idea of asking others for support. So this woman enlisted her aunt and said, hey, I really need you to talk to mom and, and explain that these are the supports that I need. So this young woman was so resourceful and she put together a team where she has supporters who help her make healthcare decisions, who help her with her college schedule and identifying so what classes she wants to take. So I just think that when people have access to the yeah. information they need about options, it can really open up their whole world. Yeah. I love, love that. She used supported decision-making to explain to her mom what, what, what supported decision-making <laughs> exactly. was. Really. I mean, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think, Allison, you really hit the nail on the head when you talked about, you know, it's really a lack of information out there in terms of, and there are there are these, uh, I would say even not so subtle pressures for parents with disabilities uh, or for parents of children with disabilities to pursue guardianship. I know for my own daughter, Maggie, she's eight, she's only eight. And I've been approached about what are you going to do when, when she turns 18 in terms of pursuing guardianship, uh, whether that's through, um, lawyers in, in terms of doing end of life planning, um, f- for ourselves and kind of who's going to be the alternate guardian and, you know, setting all this up, just a, an assumption of, because she has right. a developmental disability, that that that's what you naturally do. And, it's, I, I brought up supported decision-making and I'll tell you, the attorney I worked with is that, you know, did, had never heard of it, didn't, had never heard of it. And even I think at the, at the judicial system level, when we look at these judges who are granting guardianship, um, you know, I remember looking at the, at the cases of a particular judge in our County working with individuals, they always only did full guardianship. And what are the odds? What are the odds? Tell me that every single guardianship case that this judge has seen always only needed a full guardianship. There was never a limited guardianship needed. There was never. And so I I think in this case, we, we need to, uh, there needs to be a, a massive information campaign in terms yes. of, of course, the, the self-advocacy information is the most powerful, educating individuals on what their options and rights are, and um, but also from the, the legal and, and judicial side of we shouldn't just be blanketing. And I know there was a lot of, of, of press that was gained with, with the Britney Spears case, which wasn't necessarily right. guardianship, but conservatorship. Um, and I know you also talked about a uh, supported decision-making t- too, in your, in your example. So maybe walking through what are some of the difference between full and limited guardianship, conservatorship, supported decision-making, just uh-huh. kind of what are these differences, nuances between these options and how do they better, you know, in your mind, support somebody to maintain their rights, support their ability to, to, to self-determine their own lives and destiny like, like we all want to. Well, I think that uh, concept of self-determination is probably the most important one. And the idea, it's kind of like on a, a continuum of to supporting self-determination and limiting self-determination. And full guardianship would be all the way on one side in terms of limiting self-determination. Full guardianship means that the person doesn't have control over you know all aspects of their life. Limited guardianship means that the person um, relinquishes control of some aspects of their life. Maybe it's um, financial decisions or maybe it's healthcare decisions. But if you look at research, more often than not, full guardianship 
is being granted as opposed to partial or limited limited guardianship. So very often, as you said, judge are making the decisions around full guardianship. There is work being done. One of our partners, the Center for Public Representation in Massachusetts, they do work training judges. Um, wow. So there is a lot I of love work so much. being done with the legal system. Another part of our project. Can you say that partner mm-hmm. one more time so that our, yes. our listeners can, can check that out? Yes, the Center for Public representation in Massachusetts and their website is www.supporteddecisionmaking.org. That's great. And we'll, we'll have, we'll put it onto our website as well, but man, what an awesome work that they're educating judges. Yeah. And and their attorneys and they're really a key partner in our center. So I was talking a little bit about the differences between guardianship and full guardianship and limited guardianship, but then there are alternatives to guardianship. Supported decision-making is a really great one because no rights are taken away from a person with disabilities when they're using supported decision-making. I think in about 13 or so states, there's formal legislation around supported decision-making, but you can use supported decision-making in any state. Um, You don't need to have a a formal, um, formal policy uh, it's great to write things down in a plan, but really it's just a person's plan regarding who is going to be supporting them and in, in what circumstances of their lives. So um, even with healthcare proxy and power of attorney, you are um, moving decision-making power from what, from one per, from the individual to another person. Um, and in, in some cases that may make sense, but supported decision-making you're there as a supporter and you are not saying that the person is out on their own and is right. making their own decisions. Cause again, what I said in the beginning is no one makes decisions um, in so isolation. True. We have yeah. family, we have friends and, and that's really um, an important piece of what supported decision-making is. And I think sometimes it can be hard for professionals, for attorneys, for, um, for doctors, others in the healthcare field, to uh, wrap their head around what that means, especially when they're used to seeing, um, mm-hmm. you know, guardianship in place. Another thing I wanted to comment on is the idea, um, Holly. I think you said about you know assuming that guardianship is the next step, and you encountered that. Um, some of the self advocates that we work with talk about the issue of presumed incompetence, yes. and that that's what they deal with, and mm-hmm. that that's what youth with disabilities deal with in a lot of these conversations about turning 18. And sometimes we refer to this this time as the transfer of rights. Um, that's more of an educational term where um, the, uh, the decision-making authority around the IEP transfers from the parent to the student because the student becomes right. an adult. But the transfer of rights time is the turning 18 time. And yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenge when youth can go up against that uh, presumed incompetence. Yeah. yeah, you are so right, Allison. And I think in addition to presumed incompetence, we hold as a, as a country, we hold people with disabilities to a higher standard to essentially earn privileges we all automatically mm-hmm. get. So wow. even, even my daughter, Maggie, of you know, trying to get her, we, we had to work really hard to get her into a, a typical classroom. And they said, well, she has to prove that she can handle all day first. Well, did any other student have to prove that? Or when we look at adults getting a, 
um, spending on a card, you know, an adult, did, did you or I have to prove anything before they granted us a credit card or, you know, a, a bank account? There's, there's this bar that's set of, well, they have to show that they can, they're ready first. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's just, it's, it's so, um, we should not be holding them to a different standard. You get the part of self-determination is involving freedom and that's freedom to take risk. That's freedom to fail. That is freedom to, to do things, make a different choice than you or I would make. And everybody, everybody, all of our listeners, you all have used supported decision-making yourselves. You have gotten advice. You have gotten feedback on how to do things. This is not, this is about treating people like people having dignity and respect that, that everybody has this, inalienable right to make choices and have control over how they live their own life and enabling people to allowing people to make mistakes. I mean, we all have that right too to make mistakes. And I think that sometimes parents feel, and um, I I saw this was in a a video of another self-advocate who had um, his rights restored. He said that sometimes parents can feel that guardianship is a magic shield to protect their children. So they won't get in trouble or they, they won't uh, see any harm, but that's, you know, that there's no, there's no studies or anything that shows that guardianship um, is that kind of magic bullet that will protect people from harm. And sometimes there's actually some, some negative, um, negative things associated uh, with guardianship. I think as a person with a disability myself, the the desire um, to be able to to step out there and to to try things, um, and that dignity of risk, that uh, willingness to be able to fail, is so important. Because if you don't fail, you're not going to learn. And so I, I think uh, we all deserve that that right. Um, I just want to come back really quick. You said there are 13 states that are uh, putting in legislation to try to outline what does supportive decision making look like. And you know, as the disability garrison, one of the things that we love to do is give people actions that they can take uh, in order to have an impact on an issue. I just wonder if you could tell us a little bit about uh, that legislation or some of those things that exist uh, out there. Uh, Yeah, so some states, as I said, some states have legislation and some states have very robust supported decision making initiatives and grassroots grassroots efforts, and they haven't made it to the legislature yet. So and some states have their legislation from 2015 and haven't really made all that many strides with respect to um, uh, sharing information about alternatives to guardianship. So certainly that is that is one way. I mean, your listeners could, uh, again, at supportedecisionmaking.org, I believe is a list of states that have legislation. And very. what's nice about those states is that they'll have forms, so something tangible that yeah. families can look at and say, okay, here is my supported decision-making plan, and I'm going to bring it with, I'm going to print it out, and I'm going to bring it with me and take it to the doctor, and I'm going to explain it to the doctor. So So the doctor knows that here's the person who supports my kid in terms of these these decisions, but the decisions are still his own. So good. Does that mean you could never, now you're turning off your option of guardianship down the road like that? You can never pursue that option. No. And I, I think supported decision-making is, is probably so one of the most positive things about it is it can evolve and people's support needs change 
and thus their supported decision-making agreements and plans and supporters can change. So I think it's probably one of the most flex flexible options um, that people can go with as opposed to guardianship, which as we said earlier, is super hard to reverse. So I well, think- and, and it just makes sense, right? Because I, uh, I have supportive decision-making in my life. Uh, as I think we've established that we all do. And those people change throughout my life. Um, and so uh, if I had one person that I could, you know, that was there to make all of those decisions, that wouldn't be helpful. <laughs> yeah. That gives somebody too much power, I think. It does. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, one so thing good. I wanted to comment on, um, Michael, you talked about uh, your right to fail. And what's also really important is supporting kids to be able to learn how to make choices early yeah. um, because having the, the right to fail is important for all of us, but we need practice. Yes. We need practice to understand how to make decisions. And we we can't even, you know, typically developing 17, 18, 19 year old kids are going to make some poor decisions. Yeah. So we need to support our kids to, yeah. be, to be thinking about making, how do we support them to make decisions? And again, right. like Holly, your daughter's only eight. And it's something to be thinking about now. How do I make sure she has the skills she needs for when she does turn 18 yeah. and is in control yeah. of her own life? Yeah. And you even alluded to earlier that sometimes the school system can be one of those subtle pressures in terms of encouraging guardianship. And I know I think it really does start at the level of the IEP. First of all, I, you know, I strongly believe that if it's somebody's IEP, they're the I and IEP. They have to be at the meeting and need to be at the table. And it, regardless of their age, I know um, for my own daughter, Maggie, who's eight, we're scheduling the meeting and, and they're, they're shocked that she's there. And I, I'm, I'm referring questions to her and, and, and talking with her. And is she always engaged in participating? No, sometimes she's we're eight. coloring on the IEP document, yeah. but it's, it's, you know, a matter of, um, you know, starting at that, at that basic piece of, of, of nothing about us without us. And, and yes. in terms of, like you said, we have to practice decision-making, we all get that chance. And so if, if you're a parent, um, of a child with a disability, including them at the start and, and discussing those things at age appropriate level and, and, and supporting them along the way as they grow to, to be good self-advocates can help set you up in the long run in terms of, um, you know, hopefully you are blessed enough to um, have your children outlive you. So you want them to yeah. learn those skills and, yeah. um, and grow. And, and, you know, and for same thing, my father invited me into my IEP meeting uh, in third grade, and it was incredibly influential because I got to make decisions about my life. I got to see what was happening. I had an understanding of this process, and it was so uh, incredibly valuable. Um, and, and I think that choice is something that we all inherently want. If I tell my son, I have a four-year-old, if I tell my son what to do, he will most likely automatically buck me, even if he wants to do it. If I give him an option, um, uh, you know, like I, he's going to share the cupcake with his sister. Are we going to cut the cupcake this way? Or are we going to cut it up and down or left or right? You get to pick which way we want to cut it. And now all of a sudden I've got a choice. I've got a decision. And so I, I think again, just, we do this in so many ways and it's just good practice regardless we all want choice in our lives and making sure that that is an opportunity for all of us um, is so vital another yeah. thing i just wanted to talk briefly about is 
you know, being invited to your IEP meeting in third grade, that's setting some high expectations early. That yeah. was your father setting the expectation that my kid can participate and is going to yes. make a difference in his planning. And parental expectation is such an important predictor for post-school outcomes for you, wow. and including mm-hmm. around decision-making. I mean, yeah. we need family members to think, yep, my kid can do it. Yes. And I, I think as a parent myself, it's it's hard. It can be hard to like shift into the mindset of, you know, my kid with the right supports and the skills and experiences, my kid can can make decisions. That can be really hard. But I think as a disability community, we all need to start there. Yes. You're right. And and I think we all need to, you're right, even as parents slow. So I myself feel like I strongly see Maggie as capable. In fact, for her IEP, I, I, you know, this one pager, I put a picture of one word capable. I wanted them to pull away, um, from her. And, and I like to think I, I most definitely see and champion Maggie as capable. And, um, my son, Dexter, who, who is on the autism spectrum, he has an IEP himself and, and he's, he's very thoughtful and insightful. He was sitting down with me at breakfast the other day, and I was working and he said, mom, who do you think is going to be the CEO at GT independence? Once you, once you retire. And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, what do you mean? He's like, well, why? I think it should be Maggie. And I just realized it, it just really um, touched me so much that he, he sees her as capable and he um, and, and I had to check my own self. Cause I, I mean, she's certainly, um, you know, could, could be CEO. And here, here I was probably limiting that in my own mind, um, to some extent. And so I think you're right. The parent parental expectation, um, can be a, a, a huge factor. And I think that information campaign and, and working on helping educate parents in terms of at the, at the very early stages is, is crucial. Yeah, and I love it. Not just educate, so not just certainly educating parents is really important, but some of the work we do um, is tar- targeted at youth and we train youth ambassadors. Right now we're yes. working in eight states and we're training youth ambassadors. And there is this one young man who's been participating with us and his mother, uh, you know, we do it over Zoom and usually his mother sits to the side. You can't see her, but Towards the end of the training, she kind of came in and said, this has changed me. And wow. she, she has experienced her son's goals and expectations for him so differently because he has become such an advocate and is able to use supportive decision-making to um, just advance his life and things that he thinks are really important, like the right to vote. And he's an incredible advocate for voting in Georgia. And he's also yeah. an artist. So if you go to our website, you can see some of um, his advocacy through his comic strips. Wow. And awesome. it's just, I mean, it's, it's so amazing to, to, yeah. to, to see how um, his voice has really been held up through his artwork um, and now he's able to advocate for issues that are really important to him. And, and his mom was able to recognize that. And so yeah. I really learned something, something different here. If yeah. you could give one sentence to teachers, lawyers, uh, uh, medical professionals, as they are, you know, uh, figuring out or, or, or deciding what, what do I say in those things? And maybe they've pushed for it and they, they don't necessarily believe you. Um, or believe what, what we're saying today. What do we have a parting word for them? 
guardianship should be a, a last resort. And there are so many other avenues to go down in terms of supporting youth and young adults to uh, make decisions and live their lives. So good. So good. Allison, thank you so much for, for joining us and being a part of the Disability Garrison and our fight for justice and equality and self-determination. Um, it was truly educational and, and inspiring, and I am stoked to ensure that everyone has the right to make those decisions about their lives. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing discussion with Allison. Just so many things to think about. I hope that this episode gives you some thoughts into alternatives to guardianship. And I encourage you, uh, we always want to close out our podcast with actions that you can actually take. And, and so our first action is to make sure you are aware of alternatives that are available in your state. Make sure if you are a person with a disability, share your wishes with your family. Guardianship is not the only option. If you're a parent like myself, Make sure you are becoming aware and encouraging your child as they grow and, and, and develop and become adults that you know what the options are and that, that you're informed. There is a website we want you to visit called supporteddecisionmaking.org. This lists each state and what the laws are, and you can go through that uh, website with your family member and determine what the best option for your life is. And, and just know that guardianship isn't the only option. A second action in terms of a really state-specific and legislative action in Massachusetts, if you are a person who lives in Massachusetts or you have friends who live in Massachusetts, friends or family, there is legislation pending, a bill that would allow people with disabilities and those that are elderly to enter into supported decision-making. Um, this helps them go with people that they trust and know to help them make decisions just like you or I do and use every day. Uh, the bill has safeguards against abuse. And if it's passed, what it would do is require that supported decision-making is considered first before just establishing guardianship. It would make sure that youth that are turning 18 are aware of supported decision-making options at their IEP meetings. There is some great resources linked on our website that you can see from the ARC of Massachusetts. So if you go to gtindependence.com and find our Disability Garrison podcast episode, you can find that information there. Just, just a great piece of legislation. And it could be, if you're not from Massachusetts, a great piece of legislation to potentially model it in your own state and, and advocate for. And then lastly, there is a great organization that uh, we want to support for this episode called Self-Advocates Becoming Empowered. Their mission is to help ensure that people with disabilities are treated as equals and that they are given the same decisions, choices, rights, responsibilities, and chances to speak up and empower themselves, that they have opportunities to make new friends and learn from their mistakes, uh, just like we all do. Uh, they are working hard to eliminate institutions across the United States, working hard to achieve national health care for all, among many other things. Feel free to check them out. Self-Advocates Becoming Empowered at sabeusa.org. Thanks for listening in. Yeah.